Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Watches Six Session, Season 4, Episode 7, Tailgate Party. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I'm another one of your hosts, Emmett. Welcome back. I don't know who I was when I titled this episode for our document, but I called it Season 5, which is wishful thinking. You wish. You wish. (laughs) You and everyone else are just making it happen. Uh, I will miss it. I will miss it, and I'm starting to feel it as we hurdle towards the end. Welcome back for those of you returning to our fourth, oh my god, fourth? I guess so. Fourth succession episode together. Emmett, thank you so much for joining me. Before we get into a little housekeeping, can you tell everyone where they can find you online? Sure. So I'm Emmett, also known as Poor Quentin. I host the Not A Cast podcast with our friend Manu, aka Nuclear Bomb. We go through a song of ice and fire one chapter at a time. We're doing it once every two weeks right now, and for patrons on the other weeks, I'm putting out episodes on Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, so you can check us out wherever you listen to your uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you listen to Girls Gone Canon, and you can check out our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/NotAcastASOIAF, and you can find me at Poor Quentin on Twitter. I am looking forward. Little little spoiler: if you didn't listen last week, looking forward to the Manu and Emmett Star Warsing to come for us patrons. We're gonna be kicking off the original uh, original trilogy. I just ran through the prequels. We're gonna be kicking off the original movie, talking about C three PO and R two D two. You know, everyone's favorite protagonists. Basically, you two. See, that's the thing. I was wondering, you know, me or Manu, which one is the three PO, which one's the R two, and then I realized, oh no, we're both C three PO. Every podcast has to have two C-3PO's. The worst of all possible worlds, both 3PO's. Well, we will link everywhere to find you below. Emmett has been joining me as my co-host these past few weeks while Eliana has been Carmen Sandiegoing across the universe. And my God, I come bearing news. If you don't listen to Girls Gone Canon outside of these few succession episodes, ooh, do I have a treat for you. Coming up with Girls Gone Canon, we've been covering A Song of Ice and Fire POV by POV character. Uh, We are currently finished up with Victarian, and we're going into Aaron Greyjoy next. Eliana is returning. Uh, Victarian for patrons, The Winds of Winter, Patreon episode, Victarian 1, we think. Uh, That will be out this month for you in that stranger tier and above. So if you are over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, check that out our patreon has been delayed for charging patrons until june so if you are already a patron that will be coming out for you for free this month and june you'll start getting charged once more and really exciting we will be bringing aaron Greyjoy up in june we will be beginning his chapters meaning we'll probably do a forsaken episode which emmett here i know loves the forsaken my favorite thing on earth or under it or above it (laughs) or deep deep within it deep below it deep uh that will be for patrons in the stranger tier coming out in june so keep your ears peeled for that and we have been covering sailor moon crystal that coverage was delayed to come back up in june we'll be back with season two of crystal as we hurtle towards the uh the new the new movie coming out there in June. And for patrons in the Thunder tier and above that are on our Discord, our private Discord server, we will be having Patreon brunch slash happy hour next month like we do every month on May 27th at 3 p.m. ET. That's 3 p.m. Eliana time, hopefully. So we hope to see you there. Thanks so much for your patience while we took this brief little break. I hope you've been enjoying the succession episodes. I have manipulated, blackmailed, cajoled, forced Emmett to stay along to finish the ride. All of the above and more. (laughs) Actually, I really didn't. I didn't even guilt him that much. He finally came back and said, all right, all right, I can't, I can't, you know, ignore the people. They want me. Stockholm Syndrome works on me just like it works on Greg. (laughs) Am I Tom? Huh. Is there any good answer to that question? Hmm. Lots to ask. Lots to unpack. And we have three more episodes together to do that with. It's perfect. So thanks for listening to us as we delve into the world of succession. Of course, as we enter the tailgate party, sipping on our, our earthy wine, we will uh, be talking about everything up till now. You know, up till tailgate party and tailgate party and speculation. So if you haven't caught up with season four, get out of here. Emmett, I have something so exciting. We got our first piece of fan mail. From the people? They love us? Like I said, the people, the very people that you said you couldn't 
let down. So, <laughs> so our first piece of mail that we've received in our Succession podcast. Hi, girl and Emmett. Wait, which one am I? Yes. Great job on the weekly Succession coverage. I'm still catching up with a bunch of stuff, including last night's episode, but I can't wait to listen. Thanks for the shout out about me being able to pull off the hat to one host and one host only. Who could this be from? I can't imagine. We had a mystery night. (laughs) I wanted to share a small thought I had, and maybe you've already discussed it or someone else, but I was thinking about the three siblings being united and it all falling apart, especially Roman's name. It made me think of them as perhaps one of the triumvirates, and that maybe one of them, probably Kendall, will (laughs) succeed in conquering and taking full control as dictator of Waystar Royco, like Julius Caesar, and then maybe be deposed like him, maybe even die, and maybe someone else will come in and shepherd a time of glory, like the Roman Empire, or whatever, as the Republic Falls, which is more second triumvirate. And then, this anonymous writer mentioned that maybe this disruptor in Rome could be, I don't know, Cousin Greg, like Octavian, right? That's okay, okay. So this was just a random thought this reader had, this watcher had, and wanted to share, see if we had thoughts. And they also said, thanks for all you do, for the hard work you've been putting in the cast. I appreciate it immensely. Best, your loyal fan, Eliana. Who? I don't... I don't think this is the first time we've been time introduced. Writer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think we've met. Who is she? Nice of her, though. Oh, Eliana has caught up. She has listened to the the last episode, and now she's watched. I think uh, the last episode as well. So I'm excited to hear what she has to think now. But I think there's a lot in this episode that also points to that, right? One head, one crown. Absolutely. I think that that structure of uh, empire giving way to republic is something a lot of storytellers borrow from to kind of give their family sagas a little kind of historical backdrop. You see that with the Godfather stories that uh, Succession is often compared to. And you go back further than that, there's a great Italian movie called The Leopard that came out in the 60s that Coppola and Scorsese both draw from. That's this, this very beautiful kind of costume drama about the aristocracy in Sicily gradually realizing that the efforts to make Italy united into a republic are going to come to pass and there's part of their privileges will have to pass away, but part of them will continue. And so, yeah, I definitely think that same kind of influences in succession for sure. And I could definitely see Kendall playing the role of the the conqueror to be. That's that's set up more and more in these episodes. Uh, and you know, as far as Greg uh, backstabbing him and taking over towards the end, I mean, maybe we'll talk about this in the episode proper. I think Greg, maybe more than anyone, has been uh, he his character has been the most impacted by not having another season. I feel like he could have used more of an on ramp to whatever his final destiny is going to be. So what you know, we'll see if he he plays that role or not. But if he does, I think it might feel a little bit foreshortened. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think that he's Brand the Boy. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he wishes. He wishes he was Brand the Boy. Maybe that's how it felt. And again, our brains are broken, right? Like the entire nation, the entire globe. Like we watch this fucking media and we rot our brains out. And we think that, you know, like Shiv's baby is going to end up like birth with two heads and then be a secret Targaryen or I don't know what we think it is, but a lot of I people. Love it. No oh my notes. God. Oh my God. That's what you wish would happen. It's true. I think a lot of people do come at it sometimes with the crazy theory, myself included. Like there are some moments where I'm like, wait, what if it's not that show? It's fun to come at things with the mindset of like Game of Thrones or some of these other really complex, you know, like whodunits in media. But it's increasingly becoming not that kind of show to me, right? Every time I try to theorize something crazy, I always get shot down. So I I stop doing that and I just enjoy it for what it is. I don't think that Greg will play maybe like a, I'm the king of the castle kind of role now. But, and again, yeah, you're right. We should probably get into it. But he, in this episode, he showed his value a lot more than Tom, for example, in this episode and said, here's what I'm capable of. And it's, oh, you know, ruining a bunch of people's lives and feeling no remorse about it, which is exactly what every executive wants to hear. His major skill set going forward. What an asset. Yeah. Um, Smiley-faced hatchet man. Yeah, that works. He played to anyone tonight, right? He played to anyone's fiddle on this episode. He played, he was like, Matson, I'll dance your dance. Kendall, I'll dance your dance, where we watch Tom try to do it, and his comes off inauthentic and uh, groping, you know, searching, too earnest, overeager, just wants to be their bitch where greg is like oh no i'm great at what i do and i can do it for you for a price 
I could see an ending where Kendall is, is triumphant but empty and, and Greg is poised to, to take over at some point and just kind of left that suggested. That could be interesting. I, I would like that. I, I do think that there's some sort of, we're seeing the end game. We're in the end game now, right? Of succession. I'm sorry I said that. Uh, okay, did we get through it? We are in the end game, though. We're like starting to see some of these plots form. There's only three more episodes for shit to get shaken up. And episode eight, you know, I hear episode eight's got the crazy shit. Jesse Armstrong has said in interviews that there's shocking stuff that goes down. Uh, but, but there's a few plot threads I'm starting to see where they're going. And I'm starting to understand the character motivations and know that, like, there's not a lot. Some of these things can be dealt with in three days or four days, an episode and a half. An hour and a half. Yeah. Is the shocking thing Justin Kirk showing up? Is that what's going to be shocking about episode eight? I am on the floor. I am sobbing. I'm throwing up that he finally did it. Biggest plot twist. Logan dying, never, but Justin Kirk, that is less expected than Logan dying. That's the whole Monday conversation afterwards (laughs) is just him showing up. Yeah, tune in next week for episode eight where we uh, talk about Justin Kirk for one hour. (laughs) (laughs) At least. At least. Let's jump into the episodes. Uh, I felt that maybe I showed too much favoritism last episode by having Shiv be the final big one to talk about for eight hours. So I've put her first. I'm going to be a Much gracious more fair. queen. Yeah. Much more fair. A gracious queen here, benevolent. As benevolent. she would want. Yes. As a girl boss herself. She, a fellow girl failure. Uh, it was anything as bad as this episode when it came to like Shiv Tom. How awful. I was sitting on this couch going, they're, they're back. They're so back. They're so fucking back. It's so happening. And then I'm like, no, they're not back. Oh, God. Oh, God. No. Oh, God. Turn. Turn the car. Oh, my God. As a Shiv Tom anti-shipper, it's nice to be right. No, uh, it, it was perfect. I think they, um, the two of them at some of the show's strongest moments, they become the dramatic core of it because it's the relationship we focus on the most with someone who's not technically a Roy. And that, that awareness is kind of what they're circling around without ever directly saying out loud in this episode, even though they say directly a lot of things to each other in this episode. But what Shiv is trying to say is you're not one of us. You're not family. And what Tom is trying to express is everything I've done, good and bad, has left me with the fact that I'm not family to you. And there's kind of no negotiating that once they break it down to that level. But they find a lot of, you know, what makes it so great when it's so much fun for the actors is they find so many great ways of not saying that at each other. Loudly, aggressively, politely, nicely, and then not. Yeah, I love that when they finally had it out, it was... You know, like a real fight should be. Like, you know, where you can't fucking... You're not going to formulate a fucking manipulative argument when you're standing outside and you're like, you have a house full of guests, some of the most politically affluent guests, and you're finally having it out about your huge relationship problems that have been brewing for years. Like, it's a... Damn. You know, like, damn, that that's an emotional moment. You're not going to have eloquency in everything that you say or cover every topic, which is so real. And... I think it hurts the most because we get to see all these intimate scenes of them at the front of the episode. Like when I say Shiv and Tom are so back, that was backed up by a lot of evidence, Emmett, first of all. So I'd like you to back mm-hmm. down like the, the sex texts, like they were texting each other of about course. fucking for hours. You know, he was very happy about that sex in the beginning of the episode. That's very true. And as, and as we all know, talking a lot about sex means everything must be going really well. Well, listen, no, <laughs> but I mean, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. No, it's true. They have, there's a lot that keeps them together, and that's what makes it so hard when they split apart. Yeah. Uh, the intimacy that they start showing, too. You have these scenes of them kind of implying, like, this is their thing, that they, before elections, one of the things they used to love before Logan Roy came back into their lives and fucking ruined it, one of the things they loved doing was watching the Rasmussen polling charts, he says to her. You know, like, he shows up, he's like, oh, Rasmussen, let's, let's get our poll on. And that's what he's talking about. This is their thing. They make a nice ritual, right, when it comes to when it comes to the election. That's what they were both interested in, whether they agreed or not. And they kind of started like this little intimate slow return to their life of like what if we could go back to this uh that paradise that we had going before we realized that we're fucked up inside and we don't want to deal with it. And in a way their life before Logan really returned back into it. And then it comes down to what I thought was such a sad part of Tom trying to poke fun and trying to make a sweet joke about their relationship, the scorpion and the frog parable, right? It's Russian in origin, and it basically means that vicious people hurt people, even if it's not in their own interests. The scorpion gets on the frog. The frog says, how do I know you're not going to hurt me? 
well, okay, sure, maybe you won't, because then I drown, you drown, we both die. And the scorpion fucking does it anyway, halfway through the fucking ride, just because. You know, he's like halfway through, he's like, yeah, maybe we should both die, because I'm petty spaghetti. There's other versions of this, right? There's like the, what, the tortoise and the hare is kind of similar, the fox and the hare. I feel like it's a very translated fable across all different languages. This one specifically is Russian in origin, but, you know, vicious people hurt people. Even when it's not in their interests to hurt the person, it's just their nature. And him getting a scorpion and saying, ah, it's scorpion and the scorpion, you know, I hurt you, you hurt me, we die. So sad, like that little faith, that little break of hope. Heartbreaking, right? Like, oh, that's... She she played it off. She wasn't hurt, hurt. But she just said, oh, thanks, Tom. That's a sweet thing to say about our relationship. <sighs> you can't have two scorpions, just like I said. We can't have two C-3PO's. You can't... Neither one of them is the frog at that point. And that's definitely what Tom is trying to get across, that they're kind of... They're locked into that relationship with each other. And yeah, it's that same kind of passive aggression that we saw when he was when he first revealed that he was keeping track of, of how fertile she was. And he was like getting all agitated, like, no, it's something nice, it's something nice and you're ruining it. And it was that same kind of dynamic here, but a little more pointed because there's yeah, there's no way Tom sent you know, pulled that out not knowing what her reaction would be. And it was pointed on his part, uh, deliberately so to try to get under her skin. Yeah. Started off the episode with a, a, a frustrating bang for both of them. Well, many frustrating bangs, it sounds like. He called himself a, a father sexmas when he was bringing her the food like a, like a butler. It was adorable. Yeah, like that was, that's what I mean. Like they were like, they had this routine of intimacy. They had a little snuggly, like, here's our food snack. We'll talk about politics. And hey, you better go to work today. Like they're in normal, like the front of the episode was them trying to act like a fucking normal family. And the end of the episode was definitely the monsters, you know? Mm-hmm. It was like everything has fallen apart. And we can't pretend to be normal anymore. Yeah, there's the play acting aspect of it. Like the way, the way Tom talks about sex to Shiv always has just the the unmistakable thing for me. The the sheen of just someone who is just grateful. And there's nothing there's nothing quite as unsexy as gratitude. So there's like that's just always in the aura of like he's trying to be tough and swaggering, but he's always just like thank you for allowing me to, and that just uh. You know, and this, what does she do with that, too? Is that just the level of contempt that starts to set in? And you can see that kind of just around the edges, I think, of even their more uh, uh, domestic moments. And it's interesting in this that then Nate shows up in this episode. And you think at first, like, this is going to be the source. This is going to be the, the spark that blows the two of them apart. And he almost kind of ends up a red herring because it, his presence doesn't help. But they actually manage to, you know, when they're talking about it to each other, get over it pretty quickly. Like Tom says, fine. It's not even you running it and moves on quickly. But it's just... More the slow accumulation of indignities and deprivations that wear on him over the course of the day, over the course of the party, and his life <laughs> add up on him. More than, yeah, Nate at this point is like, you were, you were ten problems ago, buddy. We've, we've developed new, new uh, phobias since you. I will say, though, he let it go under his skin for fucking sure. I mean, that was the set-off, right? Like, that was the first thing that was like, oh, fuck this fucking party. Are you shitting me, Shiv? Like, you're inviting the guy that you fucked, you cheated on me with. Because your family says you have to. You couldn't have a backbone for me. And that's really what everything, as you say, accumulates. That's what it feels like to him, that there was no backbone. Little little does he know there was backbone. You know, when she threw her brother into the water and said, please don't fucking ruin my husband's life, daddy. Like, you sold yourself out and you didn't have to. <laughs> He'll never know. And then, uh, yeah, and then Tom just kind of, I love watching him just blow it with Matson. And Matson's like, so what kind of manager are you? And Tom just gives the worst possible answer you can give, which is, which one do you want me to be? Which, again, it's just like, that's not, it's, it's the, the kissing up instinct that he always has with shit. It's like, that's not actually what they want to hear. You know, there's any number of different pitches you could have given, but both, I guess, is the, the only wrong answer you could go with there. And it's just so obviously servile, as she says about him later. And in a way, you know, it's uh, obviously a guy like Matson wants to be kissed up to, but he wants you to do it in such a way that he doesn't feel like that's what's happening. So he can still feel cool. And Tom just doesn't let you feel cool. Like, it's too... It embarrasses you with, with him. Like, it did with Logan, clearly. It did with Kendall whenever Tom talked to him. And whenever Tom identifies the powerful person in the room, it's just, it's just too obvious. And he's never known how to dial that down. Which is just funny. That's such a great point. That's like what turns everyone off about him is his subserviency. He won't do it himself or grow a backbone himself. Like He's always coming up with dumb little phrases like he's doffing his cap to whatever, of the, you know. 
his his little awkward in between interstitial phrases to get him through the, <laughs> the process of subjugating his will to another. He, Matthew McFadden does an incredible job, but it's all these like little ways that he's off. That uh, yeah, slow burn to disaster. It's kind of like when I use filler words in the podcast and I remove them in post. It's like his filler as he tries to not be British. Maybe no, I'm just kidding. Honestly, it helps. <laughs> it helps the performance. It don't. It only adds to the awkwardness that is Tom Wansgans. It is. I mean, it's honestly, it's one of the fucking most amazing performances, and this was a stellar episode for Tom Shiv. Like, love them or hate them, anti or pro, Emmett. Anti or pro, I I mean, it was just an emotional bout for them. And Tom, so like on rewatch, the first time we watched it, I was like cringing. I was like, Shiv, oh no, how did you fall this far? This isn't looking good for you, Tom's right. But then I rewatched it <laughs> in order to find a defense for Shiv Roy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I rewatched it, and I will say Tom blows it first because he's in his own head about everything after Nate shows up, yep. after the fight from the morning, after he's like, oh, maybe giving my wife a scorpion and saying, you know, you kill me. You know, you kill me, I kill you. Ha ha ha, maybe that wasn't romantic, I, I guess. I give you scorpion, you give me scorpion. I give you scorpion, you give me scorpion. <laughs> like, maybe that wasn't romantic, apparently. Um, But he blows it first, and no, she's not supportive necessarily, but there's a way that she and Kendall throughout the entire evening are smoothing things, right? Like, could have also mentioned that inviting Nate is a play to make your company not look like Nazis, right? Like, that's the big play. Everything that Shiv went around the room with Tom and did, he would say something like, oh, yeah, I'm the bigot, you know? I'm the bigot spigot turning on the TV for your old folks and putting them in prisons, you know? Like, that's like, he would say something like that, and she would immediately buffer it to soften it. And the problem is... Tom is the figurehead of a notoriously fucked up mega billion corporation that mistreats women, mistreats queer people, mistreats people of color, mistreats, um, oh, you know, anyone racist, supports Nazis. Like, that is what the company is. And the part of the company that is especially that part is what Tom is the boss of. And so this party... This party, while it was about obviously keeping the tradition of the political tailgate, and as we'll get into the cosplay of America that comes into that, and, and all the performance and the, the raiment that you have to have for it, but the whole party was also a statement of like trying to show we're doing things different than dad in some ways, and we're, we're trying to soften our image, and as we get into the Kendall of it all, we'll see why, obviously. Uh, that he wanted Nate there. He wanted Nate there as a reaching across the aisle party move. We're trying to show, you know, we have centrists. We have a couple Centrist libs. schools is yeah. what they go with, yeah. I mean, I think uh, uh, there's the more instrumental move there, too, also that they want Nate's help with the regulatory push against Madsen, I think is their, their big motive for pulling him there, is the knowledge that he can maybe work an end run around mm-hmm. them since he has, he has connections uh, in that regard. Which, yeah, but it's the the... the What's the business and the personal for Shiv and Tom? I think the the borders have been pretty fluid there for a while, so you can't break them down too easily. Of course, Shiv was unsupportive, right? Like, this was the part of her family that she ran from, right? The raven head hanging out at her dad's apartment in the last couple episodes. Like, the the fact that she's like, oh, this is kind of crazy. We need to drop ATN because everything it stands for is everything I ran from, from my father my whole life with him, with what I used against him. Like, I'll go be a Democrat and ruin your life, Dad. Uh, like maybe, yeah, your hick conservative husband, as you call him later, embodies everything that you're like afraid of and hate about your family. And you married that and you pushed him into that role and said, this is what you get. And now you hate that and hate him and hate everything he stands for. That's interesting. Cause I feel like, I feel like with Shiv and Tom, I feel like what she did is she married her mother Ooh. basically in a, in male form. Because Tom doesn't really remind me... Whenever Tom pretends to be conservative, I just don't believe it. Like, I don't... He's not... Like, no one would buy him as, as a red meat, truck-driving, Republican male. Like, no, he's... Again, he's English. Like, it comes through. Like, he feels... He feels like he belongs in castles with tea parties, and he's very fancy, and he, like, he likes his nice things, as he's confessed many times. It's just, it's so transparently an act, and I think that's what Shiv really can't stand about him ultimately, is that just all of this is still, is still such a, such a put-on and such a performance. Um, I think what, you know, what it leads to her back to him, why she's so unhappy with it, is because she feels the same is true about herself. Mm-hmm. That I don't think, I don't think Shiv has super strong convictions of her own to anchor her to politically, and I think she is looking for that 
tr- looking to try to create that on her own without her dad. And I think Tom is just like, yeah, a constant kind of frustration and mill around her neck. I do think in a way that like her teenage rebellion slash college rebellion was that she was like, fuck my dad, fuck what he stands for. You know, like, I, okay, that's the family thing. She really did like journalism. Uh, we see that at PGN, right? That she actually like really respects PGN. And she's like, that's like a real company. Like you can't buy them because they're a real company that actually do things. Like we just tell fake stories all the time. Like she understands the the, the elaboration of the news, you know, like that, like, oh, ATN is a little nut nut compared to PGN at least is somewhat a real place with a real institution of real people. And I do think that's something for her that like it's a strong pull at the two sides of her that she left home and was like, I don't need my dad. I don't need his money or his name. I'll make it my own, even though obviously she needed that name to make it on her own. That's what people wanted her for. That's what they hired her for. They were like, oh, Shiv Roy wants to revolt against daddy. Great. But I do think that there's two sides of her with Tom with that, right? Like part of him is the husband that is too weak and subservient to do anything. But then the other part of him is like, but yet he runs ATN and he puts his legs on people like human benches and chairs, you know, and while whether it's an act or not, he still upholds the evil in some ways. So whether morally she really gives a shit about that or not, I don't know, but she seems to give a little shit about it. I think she gives a shit about being seen as that way. I think that's Shiv's main concern, because I think behind the scenes she proves very willing to uh, yeah. excuse misdeeds done to women and how the way she handles Jerry after the thing with Roman. I think Shiv is... I think she's into respectability politics is, mm-hmm. is the, the term for it, I think. I think she's into being seen as a nice person. And I think that matters more to her than pretty much anything. And yeah. I, that, that is something I think she and Tom both have in common with their mom. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people also are like that, to be fair. Not just Shivroy. I mean, just like that's a thing for a lot of centrists. Yes, why you know I, what I mean? That's what I think she stands in for in part. Yeah. I think that she uh, has a lot of those centrist opinions of those centrist schools at the centrist school party. So then Tom tries to, I love the bit where he tries to create the scarcity with the wine when he's panicking over what to do about the wine, trying to like, let's hold a couple of a couple bottles back. Let's pretend, let's pretend there's not enough. That's his, that's his way of creating buzz. And then he just, he just, he just falls apart. Once, once he gets tired and gets maybe a little drunk, he just starts yelling to everyone to get out. And I love, he's just on the verge of just, of just screaming at them, still trying to pretend it's a little polite. I'm just, I'm just bushwhacked, but he's just basically falling out the door a mood that he's so tired the whole episode and finally breaks like when i don't have sleep i feel that i break at a certain point the beginning of the episode you could tell he was feeling it you could see that he wasn't on it uh hell i'd even say with greg shit canning everybody i don't think tom had it in him to do it i think he was so exhausted he just didn't have it in himself to break all those people and send his little hitman greg in it's rough well again it's like he like he said i uh I can't do this anymore. I'll just cry doing it, which is a very nice thing to say. But that, I like that we, we see him say that. We don't see him crying. Mm-hmm. We just see him saying that he did cry. Because that's, that's like, and right after that, off camera, he mimes mew mew. Like he, he makes a fake crying noise to Greg. Like that's, that's ultimately what his emotions get kind of reduced to in this position. It's just something you can use as a taunt for the next guy down the line. Yeah. And them having it out it is uh, great. The dialogue here is amazing. I loved, uh, there's a great argument going on on Reddit about how people were like, won't people know they're fighting out there? And someone else being like, if you live that high up in a building, especially in like New York, you're not going to hear shit. The, the wind, I guess, you know, the wind, as, as we've heard of it, it buffers the conversation and you can't really make out words. It, it gets lost out there. So great, interesting Reddit conversation I read. I was like, oh, that's a great thought I never would have cared about. There's, yeah, he's, uh, when he's describing her as, like, he, she talks about the position she's in, and he just, he doesn't, he finds it hard to take seriously that she's honestly under threat. Like, he, she, he says, you're, you're, you're tough as hell, you'll figure it out, you do whatever you, whatever you can, you'll adapt to survive. And she's like, you're projecting, because that's honestly you. And that's a great moment, because they, they realize, oh, we have that in common, and that's kind of a problem, that we both have that in common. Because then there's no tender mercy spot that we can share together, because we're both hard as nails the scorpion exactly we're both we're both made of of shiny shiny venomous pointy bits and there's there's nothing to nurture here again like you and i were saying earlier it's so sad because it's like 
such a realistic fight that they don't get everything out. They hold back. They don't even give everything. They just give, like, some things. And, and I'm not saying they have time, you know, to give everything in that moment. They probably need a few more nights of fights. I could watch a few episodes of that. But I'm like, you guys, you could just communicate. What if you talked about the things you wanted? Then we wouldn't have drama. I know. I know. We wouldn't have the prestigious drama show, drama comedy, black drama comedy, Succession. I love when he, he says some line that sounds very practiced and rehearsed because everything he says uh, feels like that. And Shiv's like, oh, did you, did you read, read that in the book? And he said, you're too fucking transparent to find in a book. Which I love because he's finally, finally not making sense a little bit and finally angry enough that, like, that really doesn't make any sense at all. But it's, it's, it expresses his emotion so perfectly that you're just, what's wrong with you isn't something I needed to look up or memorize. It's just staring me in the face and I've never been able to articulate it properly until now. Uh, like he says, I've given you endless, endless approval and doesn't fill you because you're, because you're broken. Which I think, again, like everything Shiv and Tom say to each other is true, but also true of him. Like, it's, it's also true that nothing, all the people he's kissing up to, none of them, even if they wanted to give him what he wants, they're not capable of it. Because what he wants would come from inside, ideally, and he's worried that he's missing it. And yeah, he makes that, that hand motion and just says broken. Like he's like he's it's like he's snapping a puppy's neck. It's a very visceral little hand motion. They just say like, yeah, you're a you're a broken vessel. Whatever whatever light could be put in you, it's just it's just gonna run out and be uh, be meaningless. Which is a, a hell of a thing to say. And I think it's unfortunately true of both of them. Yeah, it's funny that uh, not only that line is beautiful. I love that dialogue. And then right before when he he says. I'm sorry that he didn't approve of you. Like, you didn't get his approval, and I'm sorry. Almost as if for a moment he was holding it over her that, you know, he did. Which is why she attacks back later, and she's like, well, you took away the last six months of my life with my dad. Which, yes and no. Obviously, as a human being, you could have come to terms and maybe fixed your relationship instead of scheming and gone back to no your husband No one knew it was dad. the last six months of his life at the time. That's the problem with, you know... Yeah. When, with, when someone dies is then everything immediately becomes the last time you did X. Mm-hmm. And that's something that everyone takes out on each other in the aftermath, but you don't know until it's over. And he, he kind of lauds it over, you know, that you didn't get his approval, and I'm sorry for that. Okay, I'm sorry that he didn't approve of you. But, you know, she, she chose to kill Kendall over him. She True. went to her dad with every inch of her youngest girl like certifications that she's like i the youngest daughter am here to ask my one favor and i know i'm gonna regret it because i don't want to kill my brother but please just don't kill my husband like i owe him that i owe him something and i don't know how to fix this chasm is really what it means and if they had just again communicated maybe a little bit I mean, maybe he would know. Maybe he would know what she did for him there. And that's why she gets so emotional, right? Uh, um, Because when she says, like, you know, I'm fucking my family for this, it's not the first time she's fucking her family in hopes for Tom. You know, like, what is ailing her in the position he's in? She did this to herself in a way. She didn't know that by doing this, That's what it was. But then he further does it to himself, right? Like, with this in mind, he offers himself as a sacrifice to Logan and puts himself, like you're saying about his personality, he's like, well, Logan, please, 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 let me just be your servant. And he didn't even have to. Well, if there's one thing the siblings can all agree on, it's it's fuck Tom. It's what they they all have in common at one point. I love that last episode she was like, no, don't kill him. I kind of love him again. And then this episode she's like, murder him, fucking murder him where he stands. And, you know, I love Bedtime for Bonzos. Bedtime for Bonzos. That was um, total breakdown, total shit show. Not too dissimilar from Kendall at his birthday, right? When he had his, I have to go to bed because I'm sad and I miss my home. Uh, his breakdown. But Tom's was a little more manic and a little more, ha 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 I'm literally breaking apart. Yeah, much, uh, much higher pitched, more like nails on a chalkboard with him, as opposed to Kendall's like s- sad, slow, crumbling inward. Yeah, he knows how to put on a show. Kind of funny beforehand, right, when Shiv was like, just like 40 minutes, you know, say goodbye to everyone with me. 45 minutes. Oh, she got her 45 minutes outside, didn't she? God damn it. But his performance as he came inside, incredible, uh, akin to the chicken scene. 
Right, where he takes Logan's chicken in a way. It's that same like moment that comes over him, like, I'm going to eat your fucking chicken. Here it was, I'm going to go to the fuck to the bed. Uh, it's real me hours. I, I was yelling. And I do want to come back as, as we close out the, the pro and anti Tom Shivers in the room. Um, there was something... There was something very dark in a way of Tom telling Shiv who is carrying his child, and he doesn't know it yet. Still, still, my God, will he know? Last episode, who knows? Something so horrifying of him leveraging against her, saying, I don't think you're a good person to have children with, when obviously, A, oops, and B, as you mentioned, this is the same man that became a human period tracker app and was, you know, Tom Luteal Phase Wamsgans checking when Shiv was ovulating in order to fuck her to get her pregnant to use that as leverage so that she won't leave him while he's in jail. Um, top tier insanity and hip- hypocrisy. Top tier, top tier hypocrisy and insanity from Tom on that one. Utter horror of it all, misogyny of it all. And I don't know, though. Coming back to that, I mean, if Tom could get M-Preg with Greg, maybe he would, so maybe it's not misogynistic, but... That would be the true love child. Tom and Greg child, that's, that's too powerful for this world. You gotta, you gotta banish that one beyond the stars. I think I saw some tweet, you know that girl that was in the Taylor Swift video, the, the redhead chick Sadie Sink that's been in some stuff? She's an actress. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, some tweet of like, it's some sort of years in the future, Sadie Sink is playing Shiv Tom's kid, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's a very funny tweet. I'll, I'll have to link it for you all. You got to go look at it. I, I did cackle a little bit. I did. I bookmarked it, so I'll find it. All right, so Matson versus the world in this episode. He was, him and his crew, stirring up trouble all across. Wow. Um, someone save Ebba? Someone help that girl. Holy shit, will someone help Ebba? I am like watching this, watching the harassment, watching the bullying, watching all of it from Matt's into her, and how brazenly that he's bullying her. Like, for someone who definitely has um, some pretty high level, like, I could release this bullshit upon you with lawyers and shit and create a big stir and ruin your company, not just for the harassment and the blood bank, but like for your business practices. Obviously, she's using that leverage, but it was a little, it was a little, he's very brazen, like bold. Uh, There's this kind of, I think it was cut. They didn't tell us all of it, but Matson was being cruel to her and saying uh, a lot of cruel stuff in the last few episodes, but she apparently, Carolina's actress in an interview mentioned she was in a mental health facility for six months. And there's a line that did make it where Carolina's like, how does someone take six months off? And how, how can you do that? And we all chalked it up to, to European, you know, health care. Uh, they go out to the fjords and they go health caring. But no, she was in a mental health facility, a spa, if you're Selena Meyer, for like six months. Probably because of Matson and the harassment and the job and what she's dealing with. That's uh, that's rough. That's like, he's a sick dude when you keep that in mind. Like, he doesn't give a shit. He's like, yeah, everyone harass Abba. That's good. It's the well-done sense of hostility that's just on the verge of being open. And it kind of spills over a couple times, but it's, it's interesting to watch how much they feel the need to hold back. But he does, yeah, mock her directly in front of Shiv, and he has that way of putting it that, that she has sort of tenure because we mingled, which is just such a, a delightful way of putting it. Mingled is a whole, whole universe of, of hostility and pain behind that that cute little word there and it's yeah like she has he resents her for the power that he feels that she has but only because of the position that he put her in which is now her fault uh so that's a wonderful game he plays with himself there um and yeah who yeah when she whenever just says i don't i don't love parties i related to that pretty hard (laughs) probably probably shouldn't be in comms probably shouldn't be in pr at that point but uh i feel that she might have liked parties before shit and yeah, Matson Matson walks in, literally interrupting the moment of silence that uh, that Ken was holding on behalf of of, uh, of their father, which is just perfect because that's what he's doing on on the whole legacy and their whole narrative of themselves is is interrupting and sliding himself in, and uh, yeah, it's there's just no no privacy in that kind of room at that point. Any intimacy is shattered, and any conversation that Ken has to have with him is just over the heads of a dozen other people that they know are listening. And yeah, this is the we learn we learn start to learn a little more about about Matson and his 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 bullshit 
uh, subscriber numbers in India, and it turns out he's a, he's a fraud just like Logan with the when Kendall as soon as Kendall got the crown and he learned that his dad had billions in debt, this ticking time bomb hovering over his head, and Matson's got the same thing. And as he says, he really he needs the deal to happen quickly so that his his bullshit numbers are just part of the churn and just part of the the kind of the overall media hype that uh, ushers him into ATN. So that's that's what he needs from them, and, and Shiv has to just basically kind of hold his hand and walk him through that whole process and i love part of the pleasure of the last couple episodes is watching shiv and uh, watching sarah snook navigate both sides of the coin there where she has to call mattson quickly and quietly on her own and then feign just ignorance and outrage when he shows up like who could possibly have seen this coming yeah definitely coming back to a lot of season two a lot of pgn and pierce acquisitions at that time honestly she's kind of the raya to logan right now right in the same situation where Rhea's like oh shit's blowing up at waystart do i stay or do i go shiv has landed herself in her own little Rhea position and the india numbers uh we're making fun of disney plus once more i love that two weeks in a row i really respect it because they had the hot star disney plus thing go down with their numbers which was pretty similar um shitting on disney is such a great thing this season and Something about Shiv and her feigning ignorance so smoothly and totally lying so easily to her brothers. Uh, every episode, I'm like, you are on thin ice. You are going to get caught, girl. You need to stop. And the dynamics of her getting caught, like, it has to happen. She has to somehow get caught up in between it all and have it all revealed. I feel that coming. I don't know if it's going to be Tom or Roman or Ken or Tom sells her out, maybe, because he knows what's happening. Uh, the ultimate move, you know, to win. And to me, I'm starting to think it has to come down to her and Ken having a blowout over it, however it comes out, because Ken doesn't know that she condemned him to death in season two. She, she, he doesn't know. He doesn't know about the yacht and that she went to dad and said, kill Ken, keep Tom, take care of him. Um, that's that's going to be something that could possibly break all three of them apart. Obviously, Ken isn't really interested in unity and campfires and kumbaya and bonding right now, as we see, right? Like, he has his own plots thickening behind the scenes, but I'm sure he could leverage that for that purpose of breaking further apart. I mean, there's one of the heads of the dragon knocked off, right? Easy. And Tom is kind of uh, giving Greg his advice on how to break into that little crowd. That he tells him to go with Matson instead of the Dumpster Brothers, which is you could call Ken and Roman. So that's the, those are your two flavors of brothers at this point: is Dumpster or disgusting. You gotta which, whichever whichever poison you prefer. Yeah, their paths are diverging there, right? He's like, wait, no, I'm sticking Matson train, and Greg's like, I'm going the Bro Bros. What are you talking about? And even it's great because they're having that little conversation about about stabbing Ken and Roman in the back for Matson, and then Ken also sends Greg in uh, to talk to Matson. Uh, and Greg, you know, he squirms his, his warmer little way into the inner circle. And yeah, he shows off his one skill, which is as a, as a hatchet man, which we saw earlier in the episode. The ease with which he, he fired hundreds of people reading from a script. And yeah, that could be setting up something for him that he has to maybe fire someone bigger who's put in that position again in the last couple episodes. There's that, that chilling little moment when Matson points at him with Grant's like, not a good person. It's like, <laughs> well, that's, that's recruitment right there. That's the kind of people he needs. It's uh, interesting how easy it is for him to assimilate into these groups, right? It reminded me of the election episode last season where he's being hoisted in the chair as people are like, yeah, fuck Greenpeace, go Greg. Um, he knows how to play to that very well. He showed value. He showed more value than Tom did and that he's someone that has no conscience morally, where, as you've pointed out, Tom does. Like, he wants to have no conscience, but his heart bleeds most of the time. There's something about even just the dynamic in Matson's company, right? Like Oscar. Oscar was so open-mouthed while drunk and high. He didn't give a shit. None of them gave a shit. Like, he was openly rude to Greg. Last episode, and the last couple episodes, right, it was veiled underneath, like, oh, that's just how we speak, and we're speaking in our foreign language, and don't worry, we're not making fun of you, you inbred Habsburg. Uh, we're not making fun of you, but now it's just open. It's just out there, and raw, and mean, and you can see kind of Greg somehow, some something that Greg actually is really strong at is that he seems to ignore that. He doesn't care what people think of him, even though he obviously hears it. He cuts straight through it. Hatchet Man cuts through it every time he hatchets it. And he kind of comes out good in this episode. It's good to have a rat fucker, we learn. Well, like Madsen says, these people act like they're complicated, but they're really not, which is, I think you could say about everyone on the show. 
uh, is that it just runs on money and gossip. It's just like the high society kind of social circle you'd see in something like Edith Wharton. It runs on the same rules. And it's all just uh, language and rhetoric uh, giving way to kind of the, the action buried like daggers underneath. And uh, so she, uh, she pulls Matson aside to, to make kind of her ask for, for, uh, for betraying her brothers in this way or for, you know, doing what she thinks is best for them without their knowledge. Uh, she says, I need a very, very, very prominent role. Three varies, as Matson says. That's, that's, uh, that's all you want. And it's, yeah, a.k.a. just basically put me in charge of ATM which is what she wants from him, which is what they all are now ultimately deciding they want, the siblings. They're just, they're scrappling for that, that, uh, that family jewel that Logan left behind, his favorite thing, they all want it. And there's a great little moment I love when he, when Matson is weaseling out of giving her a concrete offer, uh, when he says, can I think about it? And she says, no. And then he says, well, can we circle back? And then she says, sure. And I'm like, those, are, those mean the same thing. Can I think about it and can I circle back are the same thing. But it's again, it's just a delicate negotiation to get me out of the room and away from this conversation, which is uh, is, is all he needs. But uh, like as with, with uh, previous scenes with Matt and Shiv, he just kind of falls apart in a very kind of childish, like I got caught stealing cookies kind of way when he's pressed about the subs fraud. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's a thing that I should look into. Mm-hmm. Someone should do something. That's a pretty big thing that he's leaving out. And. Truth be told, as we think about the past few episodes, we should have known better. Why else was he pressing the deal further and further and further? And I think, honestly, once they learn it, right, Kendall learns it, like, that's that's good. That's a great thing he learned because he knew how to spot it right away. He's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's exactly what Dad did. Huh. Hmm. 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 Your numbers, man, almost literally unbelievable. I love that at the beginning, like you said, he had to play on that game. Like, we're in front of people. We can't make our little jokes. But by the end, he found a way to harness it, grab it, turn it public, and make everybody pay attention. And not necessarily condemn him or damn Matson, but really, really well done spin that we'll talk about soon. And, I mean, Matson's just Loganing Shiv. Same thing Logan did. She's just going to be number four son. It's all you're left with. And, yeah, and then we... uh. Speaking, speaking of being at the bottom of the heap, we have Roman, uh, still, still desperately looking for an organizing principle, des- desperately looking for a hole to fuck on a wall. Yeah, you know, for some sort of spark to enjoy something. He, I love this part of the episode, right? Because as we get towards the mid end of the episode, it all spirals downward in a row. It all gets very bad. And Roman and Jerry, we should have known that was, ooh, that was a tense but wonderful scene. Jay Smith Cameron killed that scene. That was like, I, I was happy because I feel like we've been missing out on some good Jerry this season. We've gotten some great Frank moments and Carl moments, but I wanted some Jerry, Jerry. Uh, R.I.P. Rip, rip. I love that she laid down the law. She said, you're going to read from my slides. I get to tell the narrative. If you even stray from my narrative, it's over and I get lawyers involved and you know, basically saying it's going to be a really expensive way to say sorry for what you did, and it'll make you think about it, it looks like. Um, I feel as if Ebba and Jerry, there were some huge parallels in their scenes, right, as we get the Roman and Ken talking to Ebba, and then the Jerry parallels, and some parallels in them that you realize Ebba says she's out in February. She's holding out. She's just waiting to get the fuck out of there in February and to be away from him. Jerry, she's not going to sue. In fact, she's like, fine, whatever, I'll get my bag and get out. She says it's going to take a lot of money. I would like a lot of money to make this go away. They're in very similar positions. Even going back to Jerry in the episode where Roman fires her, right? Her whispering to herself, I'm good at my job, because she knows she was. And Abba could have been good at her job, too, had she not worked in a horrific harassment environment every single day that bred anxiety and made her go to uh, take care of her mental health for six months. Yeah, it... It was really loud that the way that Logan and Roman treat people and the other siblings as well. And of course, the way that Matson treats people is not dissimilar. They're very similar companies. And the later, we, the big takeaway from Roman for the episode in terms of what's coming next is that he volunteers to take on the funeral job. <laughs> I wonder if that might have, the Jerry conversation might have motivated him in that regard, if he's going to give us a, a public meltdown in his, his speech for dad. That might be coming. And I love that when that when that job when they're talking about it at Les Georges and they talk about who's going to be running the funeral for Dad and Ken offers himself it he says I'm easy which like Ken that's the one thing no one would ever use to describe you <laughs> you are, you are not easy in, in in any any context at all whatsoever 
Uh, and I love that uh, both he and Roman are kind of in the early scenes in this episode are just kind of talking like each other. Like they say the same line a couple times when they're talking to people. And they're just these little little nervous left and right brains, remains of Logan, trying to both trying to fulfill his image and neither one of them feeling happy about it. Yeah, I love the the connection between them this season is very false in a way. Like they're both just lying to each other and amping each other up constantly, even though they both know the other is doing stupid shit and they don't care enough to like say anything about it. No, I guess not in like shit in town, but in a negative way, right? They're nega nega hyping. They're negging each other that way. Where Roman and and Kendall, Roman and Kendall are just like, yeah, man, you keep destroying your life. Yeah, man, you keep destroying our life. Yeah, man, keep destroying the company. You too, man. We're doing it. We're doing a great job, man. It's a it's an interesting dynamic. And Kendall is in uh, is uh, in fine form when he's, he was what was his line. We watch history, we make history, and one day we become it. Talking about his dad, but also thinking about himself at that point. Yeah, it's a very like he's in a power vacuum, right? Kendall is like, oh, I'm in a power vacuum, and I'm going to seize control. And when he does his little speech there, oh man, he is he's killing it these last two episodes. When he's on, he's on. He's got that like yeah, that little year on speech where he says, "I am the wave" to Matson at one point. He's he's. Uh, you know, those the delusions of grandeur and messianic thinking that, that Shiv has talked about with him in the past definitely surge up here. And it's such a great contrast with that persona versus the, the bullshit, passive, weasel response to Rava when she brings up the harassment of Sophie. Like, he not only tries to turn it on her, but pretends that's not what he's doing. He's like, where were you? Not that I'm accusing you of anything. And it's just like, of course, she immediately flips out. Because what's so enraging about that is that he's not even giving you anything to push back against because he's not he always wants plausible deniability so he can act like he's not the aggressor in the situation uh, and then he gets super defensive about his own motivations being called into question and he's all you know he's he's saying the same things that uh that logan used to say when you know i, I broke my back for my kids or whatever it is ken says in this episode it's the same shtick logan always used as this very transparent just blanket justification i did it all for my kids and that's that's meaningful enough to me Family therapy, right? Everything I... Listen, I don't want to talk about this. I can't get into it all. I can't get into it all. I can't get into it all. But... That's what Ken's saying now. And this after he was so outraged about Logan and Roman having his kids followed in the previous season. But the difference was that Ken in season three was the the knight-errant outsider. And he he could afford to to talk shit about everything that was going on within the machine. And now he wants it again. He wants ATN. And he ultimately, I think, does care more about that than he does his own kids, which I think is what they're all struggling with in their own way. The Roy's is that they love, they love power more than they love anybody else. Yeah. And I think, and of course, Ken decides as soon as he comes up with his new master plan, he's going to go to Frank with it because that's always worked so well. <laughs> remember, remember back in season one when they had to do the the bear hug early because Ken blabbed to Frank. He t- he told the grandfather clock as this Stewie called Frank, and Frank of course immediately sold him out. Uh, but Ken can't help it because Frank's always been his actual dad and his, his one confidant he can go to when he can't go to anyone else. His little, his little alternate family structure he set up with Frank and, and Stewie and Nate. It seems like, you know, they have a, something of a friendship Yeah, from back in the day. And I think worse off is that there's no Logan to stop him. I think that might be the worst part of this, right? Like season one, you know, you had the, the entire coup, then you have the bear hug uh, then you have the killing the kid. Anyways, man's laughter. But you had Logan to stop it. Logan caught it in its tracks. It was It's like playing Hades. You know, I love that game. And every time you get there and your dad kills you and you're like, oh, back to the start. Here we go. I mean, no Logan to stop Kendall could be worse. Kendall could achieve it. He might just win. He might get his Megamind Corporation because he's looking at it and he's looking at the numbers and he's seeing, I could win. I could fix this. I could win. It just takes giving everything up. One head, one crown, he says to Frank. But yet... One god, one king, one realm. One god, one king. But yet, you know, 20 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago in this episode, Kendall was saying to Rava, everything I'm doing is for the kids. This is all for our family, for our life, for everything we have and are. What's the fucking truth, Ken? And as we kind of talk about Kendall's plot... We get into the politics of it all. Coming back to the kids, like you said, in the last episode, we had Joy and Hollywood saying, you know, the politics aren't working. This is affecting us in our day to day. This is affecting the people that want to work here or don't want to work here. It's a bad environment. Morale shit. No one really likes that we are, you know, pro Nazi on every screen right now. And like, we're supposed to just eat it up and perform and love it under that. And 
now we have the kids. We see how it actually is affecting day-to-day, real life, Ken's children, probably other children, right? And Shiv on the playground, we come back to where she told a woman, you know, eh, well, maybe you don't want to go against these guys because they'll ruin your life. True or not. Then she found out her dad was doing the same thing, sending goons after the kids, and she was actually kind of horrified. She realized, oh, that's what we're doing? A moment of clarity? I think the kids being used as weapons or being used as leverage is such a great theme in this episode when it comes to back to Tom, you know, tracking ship's period and tracking her ovulation or to Shiv, who has still not been able to find the words to say, I'm fucking pregnant, uh, and to Tom not thinking she should have kids with him. And Kendall... Oh, God, Kendall, with his kids that he is absentee father for. Doing something for the greater good isn't that fucking great when it doesn't help your family or the people that you pretend to love, right? That doesn't help your kids. I uh, I think Ken has an important choice to make here, and we know what he's going to make. Well, in true form, I put my second favorite as our last conversation, right? And, and that's... I put... My second favorite girl, I mean, my second favorite kid, Connor O'Connor, who was interested in politics from a very young age. Let's talk about the politics of it all, right? Because one of the biggest parts of this episode was, this is a fucking tailgate party for elections and polling, right? This is, this is election night. It's ritualistic. This is an American cosplay. You know, there's food that's super American, but also super fancy and prepared by servants that have made it beautiful. And carnival little games right like my mom likes to do these little kind of like fun games at christmas we call them reindeer games and it's always like you know you gotta you put the the snow bobble on a thing and you balance it and if you win and you don't lose you get some lottery tickets or whatever that's that's her version of a cute little you know christmas fun game but they have little pin the tail on the pole shit going on uh lots of little side circus games this is their super bowl Right, like this is their big party, their big Super Bowl that they prepared for. They're putting on the best elbows to rub, but also it's a game. Like, holy shit, this entire party is a joke. It was a huge joke where they're all just rich and laughing and playing little carnival games about who might rule tomorrow and rubbing elbows and networking. And it was kind of like surreal in a way. Like, this is the election process. Yeah, and they're making fun of it all from the inside. That you know, when Ken has the line that we're gonna we're gonna tell everyone on ATN that they're gonna take your guns and make them transgender. All your guns are gonna be ladies. Or when yeah, Tom's doing the exaggerated foul news demon thing with the the guy from the, the one of the more democratically inclined people at the party. Or when they, when they called Frank General Franco, that almost made me spit out my drink. Uh, or yeah, what Kendall says, you know, we're all gonna stay friends. So that's the ultimate outcome of this event for any of them. There's not gonna be any consequences. And we're all going to stay in the same little club. Yeah, those flirtations with that racism and making it a joke. Like, we want to put everyone in a concentration camp, obviously. But at the end of the day, we're all best buddies who reach across the aisle and hold hands. That was kind of like coming off so loudly back and forth. And it's so fake. How do you react to people that like some of the people in the very room might hate your existence and want you dead? You know, like, oh, but it's cute. It's fun. It's fine. Uh, it was very wonderful and gauche. Very wonderful, like, oh, this is very tacky. I called Connor being a spoiler. That definitely seems to be what they're setting up here, is that Connor's going to make it just impossible for Mencken to win. He's, he's, they're worried enough about him to call him and try to get him to drop out, offering him the, the lowest hanging fruit in terms of embassies. But, yeah, I think that's what they're setting up for, is, is Connor to, to just barely get the Democrats over the line by being a spoiler for the Republicans. I love him not pulling. You know, like, I was like, don't pull out, Connor. Don't do that. Don't do it. Stay in for democracy. <laughs> to give yourself something to write a book about, like like Willis was saying. And yeah, I love. I also love that we got to see uh, Connor's little pet Pierce. I wish he popped up more often. The guy with the, the mutton chops and the handlebar mustache that looks like he should be running a telegram operation in Deadwood or something. He just has the kind of like 19th century face. And uh, and yeah, Connor is at least the one who's who's checking in on dad, visiting his grave, if nothing else than to just enjoy his absence, which Connor seems to be getting out of it. I love Shiv's line when she hears that Connor's visiting the grave. She says, just any change? I How's he doing? Any, any improvement in yeah. dad's position? Uh, and yeah, I love that how, how excited he is about his, his numbers going up in Alaska. We got four, five, six percent, but that's Alaska. So that's still like 12 people. Dozens of us. Dozens. Dozens. Uh, I love his pet Pierce. Yes, his, uh, his Pierce match is such a great friendship. And in a way, it's kind of like, it's very innocently cute. 
right? Not to be a weirdo, but it is kind of cute because it's yeah, like... he's just his pet. They start off at the very front together at that party just arguing. And then by the end of that party, they become inseparable BFFs. I mean, and the guy has some good taste. Like, he actually balances Connor out a lot in a way. And I love that that is like the microcosm of what the party fake is about. It's like, oh, yes, we all reach across the aisle to one another. But those two actually do. And they, like, speak. And they, like, discuss what they agree and disagree on. And they, like, somehow they make it work. You know, I'm like, maybe everyone, like, Tom and Greg is so tired, and that's wired. Connor and his Pierce friend is wired. And Willa, um, I loved Willa's support of Connor, and she made a great point. Like, he could use this then to go on press tours and to write books and to make his own income about an experience that he actually had, although it was achieved with millions of his father's money that he didn't do anything for. But he had this experience, right? And now his siblings are here to take that away from him and make him leverage it and give it all up for, quote unquote, the family, quote unquote, the business that doesn't let him in, quote unquote, you know, like it's a little, it's hard to watch. It does feel bad. Like Willa said to him last episode, don't let them talk down to you. Don't let them make fun of you. Uh, I, I love that she defends him and that somehow in the middle of all these fucked up relationships, we see Relationships for the rich and famous are obviously agreements of power balance and imbalance and money imbalance and balance across the relationship. Negotiating your wants, your goals, and how much it's going to cost for that to be a lifestyle for you both. Negotiating your living wage. Willa's love and support for Connor, however driven by fiscal nature it is, is kind of fantastic in a way between good and bad and horrifying and kind. Like She sees him and supports him more than his own family has in this entire show. And that's kind of what comes through the most, is that with the right shiny title, you'll concede and sell yourself and let yourself get eaten. This right here, where Roman comes to Connor and says, will you please just fucking answer Mankin's people's calls and give up? You know, he really wants you to drop. We might get some, some movement if you do. I mean, that's what politics is. That's really what this party's all about. You'll let yourself get eaten. You'll sell yourself. That's the game. When you're a third-party pick here, you're negotiating yourself into a position. If you shoot big enough and hope it sticks, you might fall to a decent position in the end. I mean, Connor's playing the game. And uh, meanwhile, Nate is, is smelling failure on the wind with the other brothers after he has his little little combo with Matson about the Failsons, as Matson just openly calls them at this point. And yeah, hearing about leadership changes at ATN, he starts he starts backing out of the room real quick, which he's he's a pretty good weather vane since he... Uh, represents a lot of higher ups in politics that they're they're not they're not buying what, what ken is selling and i think uh, ken runs into the same problem that tom does where he's just a little too obvious about it and he's a little too clear he wants to just use regulation as a as a blunt object against Matson, and there's just not really much in it for for nate's side of things there yeah and it's not lost on me that nate shows up to this party and sees shiv sees the company that they're all keeping at this party the people the roys keep company with kendall as well uh that this hasn't changed. None of this has changed. Matson mocking Ebba, cruelly showing up, being post-ironic, politically incorrect all the time. The exact things that Gil and Nate detested in the car with Shiv, right? Uh, none of this has changed because the Roys won't change. Waystar Royco will not change. They are symptomatic of a disease lingering on the edge. If you get too close and you get the disease, you get pulled into a terminal death because you're not a Roy and they are. And Ken just offers in the face of that just a reset of the dialogue. That's what he wants to, to offer Nate. And I don't think really have any of them have any idea on what they actually want to do. Like Logan said that to Ken. What do you want to do? And he just said, do good things. And I think if you, you know, gave Shiv truth serum, I don't think she'd be able to come up with any much anything more descriptive than that either. Uh, and it just traces back to the fight over Sophia that they just want to assume assume the greater good and assume we're doing this for a cause but it's 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 pretty clear to everyone else that they there's no cause but them at this point yeah it's uh it's hard at the end of the day when the roys continue to be themselves every week couldn't have said it better than that every week i think they'll change on it and every week we come back here and they have not changed shiv and tom are not back together holy shit so not back together never again <laughs> Uh, Emmett, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Watching Succession. Thank you for having me. Of course. Can you please once more tell everyone where the fuck to find you online or to fuck the fuck off? <laughs> so once again, I am Emmett, also known as Poor Quentin. I host the Not A Cast podcast with our friend Manu, a.k.a. Nuclear Bomb. 
we're going through a Song of Ice and Fire and also a Star Wars and Lord of the Rings episodes we do for patrons. So you can find us wherever you listen to you, uh, your podcast, wherever you listen to Girls Gone Canon. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Podbean. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash notacast, A-S-O-I-A-F. And you can find me at Quentin on Twitter. Thanks so much again. And of course, if you are listening, you should make sure you're subscribed to us on a podcast platform near you. Whichever your favorite is, we're on it. And if you want to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, that is where you will find all of our episodes, including special bonus episodes that are available for our patrons in the stranger tier, the $5 tier and above. Our Patreon will be resuming charging next month. If you sign up now, you will get charged. I will not refund you that money. I am telling you, I am warning you, don't do it till June. But if you sign up in June, you could possibly have access to bonus episodes if you join the Stranger tier or join the Thunder tier and above and you'll have lifetime access for our private Discord server, however long the life of that server is and however long the life of you being good is. You know, like don't be a jerk, but you can live there forever. We do brunches slash happy hours every month. This coming month in May is going to be May 27th, 3 p.m. ET. That's Eliana time for those of you listening in. And we hope that you will join us at happy hour slash brunch. We'll be back next week for episode eight for the big election and for Justin Kirk. I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Emmett. We are eagerly awaiting you, Justin Kirk. Eagerly. Goodbye.